0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis await all of us. Your stool is waiting for you. Let's dive right in. Jim, our good martini has been a good martini before. I think it's just more official now. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has... Officially told everyone he's not voting for the Senate version of HR 1, the supposed For the People Act. This is the one that uh, pretty much uh, does away with uh, voter ID and takes a lot of election authority away from states and locales, and the federal government's dictating a whole bunch of stuff. And they pretty much want to codify what they did in in 2020. Uh, It's also seen as a pushback against uh, what some Republican governors and state legislatures are doing around the country. But uh, Manchin has said, Uh, that he doesn't like this, Uh, he thinks it's too much, Um, he still thinks that uh, edicts could come from Washington on this subject, which I don't like, but he's not going to vote for this bill, he's made it official, he uh, put it in an editorial uh, in a West Virginia newspaper, and so uh, it's more locked in than it was before, and Democrats are furious. Here is Jamal Bowman. Uh, he's the Democrat, uh, kind of cut from the squad mold who defeated Elliot Engel in a New York congressional primary last year, uh, explaining to John Berman on CNN how he now views Joe Manchin.
1: Joe Manchin has become the new Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, during Obama's presidency, said he would do everything in his power to stop Obama. He's also repeated that now during the Biden presidency by saying he would do everything in his power to stop President Biden. And now Joe Manchin is doing everything in his power to stop democracy and to stop our work for the people, the work that the people sent us here to do.
0: So by at least for the moment, keeping the status quo, Joe Manchin is stopping democracy, Jim. It's a good thing there's no hyperbole in this debate.
1: Yeah. Now, what's what's fascinating to watch is... Joe Manchin, and I guess you could say to a lesser extent, uh, Kirsten Cinema are probably in a position that is roughly akin to that of Susan Collins, the Republican Senator of Maine, and maybe let's say Lisa Murkowski, the technically Republican Senator from Alaska <laughs> to the, the two most moderate members of the caucus who are most likely to deviate from the rest of the party, most likely to wanna to work with the other side of the party. And Republicans have learned that you, you can rage and fume and you can, you know, scream and yell and, and you know, call Susan Collin names and she's a rhino and she's a squish. And a, none of that stuff really works on her, uh, in part because she's the only kind of Republican who can win from a state like Maine. And the other thing is that, uh, you know, like she's, she's in a six-year term. She doesn't have to face the voters, and her voters like her. She was being written off for dead, and so she's not going to change it. It's a very similar situation with Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is up for re-election for a long time, and if you tried to beat him in a primary with a, a progressive, that progressive is going to get thrashed. In a general election in West Virginia. Manchin only won by a couple of points, and a year that was, you know, it, it was pretty good for Republicans, in part because he's pro-gun, or at least pro-gun enough, pro-life enough. He just never goes that far to the left. And these working class whites that make up the West Virginia are like, okay, we're okay. He's the kind of Democrat we can live with. The you know, Jamal Bowman's of the world have to accept this as a basic fact of, of the dynamic of the Senate. It's a 50-50 split. You guys only got that by the skinnier teeth because of how badly this georgia runoffs went for the republican party and no when it's a 50 50 split that's not when you want to blow up the filibuster that's insane that's the worst possible time the time to do it by the way i completely oppose it but if you wanted to do it and you were winning if you had a 59 41 split and you kept winning 59 to 41 and you only needed one more and all of these proposals you were trying to do was very were very popular and uh, it was very clear that the filibuster and these 41 senators were just completely refusing to cooperate on anything. Well, that's when you can do it, but not when you're in a 50-50 split. That's insane. All right? without, with, without Kamala Harris, the Repo- Democrats don't really control the Senate. That's, you know, so it, it's fascinating to watch this. And the attitude is just, you know, just to demonize Joe Manchin. And Joe, uh, Joe Biden went after We made, made fun of this last week where he said that uh, Manchin votes the Republicans more than the Democrats. No, he doesn't. So far, he's voted 100 percent of the time now. We should point out there's certain things that don't come to the floor of the Senate because they know they don't have 50 votes. And has Joe Manchin been the one who's probably been the toughest vote for Democrats to get? Sure. You well, know, near a tandem here and there. But by and large, he's still voting with the party the majority of the time. It's just the really high profile stuff. And Joe Manchin has this very basic sense. If you're going to make a big sweeping change or you want a big sweeping bill, he wants Republicans to buy in on it. He wants it to be bipartisan. That means you got to go to the negotiating table. Um, so, i fascinating fascinated to watch how much the Democrats have decided to, uh, just, de- uh, you know, progressives have just decided to demonize Joe Manchin, that they can, you know, temper tantrum into submission or something like that. It's not going to work, I don't think. And I just see Cocaine Mitch over there kind of waving his arms saying, come to me, come to me, Joe. We, we welcome you with open arms. I, but I saw some back and forth about this on social media i think under the senate rules manchin would lose his seniority if he switched to the republican party now i think joe manchin could say which committee do you want to chair congratulations you're now you're now the new chair of that if you know whichever republican would have been next in line uh, is okay with that to me that's a very simple trade to make um that you know if you want to put them on the energy committee because of coal or you want to put them on public works or something where they'd spend a lot of money hey you know i could live with joe manchin running a committee and getting a whole bunch of power and getting to bring back a lot of stuff back to West Virginia, if that puts Mitch McConnell in charge of the chamber and all of a sudden the rest of the Biden agenda is in much, uh, much, much hotter water, so to speak.
0: Oh, man, that would be a huge shift. I don't see that happening. I think he would have Perhaps done that by now if he was uh, considering it. But uh, if he constantly gets browbeaten by his own party over time, it might be something he uh, considers a little more strongly. Uh, Jim, uh, good, good Mitch McConnell there. I would just slow it down a little bit because, you know, if if Joe Manchin were to come to him and say, What do you give me if I switch parties? uh, Mitch would, uh, you know, really infuse a lot of emotion in there and say something like, I would be overjoyed if you would join the Republican Party.
1: I had to speed it up, Greg, because, you know, our (laughs) listeners have places to go and people to see.
0: They do. They do have lives. So uh,
1: People love this podcast because it's short. So a truly (laughs) accurate Mitch McConnell impression doesn't fit within our time.
0: Yeah, you got to keep it to a sentence fragment. That's for sure. Uh, Get on with your day a little bit. But uh, anyway, uh, the length of the life for the uh, Democratic majority in the Senate, uh, could it be? In the balance? I don't know. But uh, look, having the right documents, the right plans in place for your own life is also something that's very, very important because look, the time's going to come where the life ends. Uh, We want to extend that as much as we can, but we all know it's going to happen. Ben Franklin certainly reminded us about that. And so having your affairs in order is critical. Uh, Even if you're just starting out in life, you're buying a home, you're starting a family, you're building wealth. Be sure to secure your family's future. Make that part of your to-do list by establishing a will or a trust at trustandwill.com. At
1: trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your home. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can cost thousands, and using a one-size-fits-all template is not nearly specialized enough for you. Trust & Will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, Trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan.
0: And this is something that's absolutely critical, like we said, at any stage of life. Uh, Mrs. Corumbus and I took care of this after we had our second child, and it's so comforting to know that uh, hopefully it's not going to you know, need to be acted upon for many, many years to come. But uh, you never know when that time comes, and so having that already taken care of is critical, brings a lot of peace of mind. And if you need to do it, uh, and you need to do it with a fairly small budget, trust and will is definitely the way to go. If I'd known about trust and will back then, I could have saved myself a ton of money and most likely gotten the same excellent service. So uh, trust and will is definitely the way to go if you need help getting this done. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash martini and get 10%. Off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait, go right now. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at TrustAndWill.com/Martini. TrustAndWill.com/Martini. All right, Jim. Let's move to our bad martini now and the whole ransomware issue. Uh, that keeps rearing its head. We've seen it with the Colonial Pipeline. We also saw it with uh, the largest uh, meatpacking uh, company in the United States. That one seems to have been uh, dealt with with less impact than, than the pipeline issue. But uh, the threat remains. And we are hearing from folks like Chris Ray at the FBI and even the Biden White House that uh, the efforts to counter this and to even punch back are ramping up pretty Intensively, And we hope that is the case. Uh, Our energy secretary right now is Jennifer Granholm. She was a two-term governor of Michigan, did a horrible job there, unless the goal was to tank the economy during the 2000s. But she is now the energy secretary, and she was the guest of Jake Tapper on State of the Union on CNN uh, yesterday. And so uh, Tapper pointing out that, look, a lot of the uh, power grid is run by the private sector, a huge majority of it. Is it uh, vulnerable to attack? And here's what we got.
1: Do you think that adversaries of the United States have the capability right now to shut
0: down the power grid? Uh, yeah, they do. I mean, I think that there are very malign actors who are trying, even as we speak. There are thousands of attacks on all aspects of the energy sector and the private sector generally. I mean, the meat plant, for example. We, it's happening all the time. Jim, I see this as a double-barreled bad martini. First of all, she's probably right that there are vulnerabilities in there, and so that's bad enough in and of itself. But uh, for her to go out publicly and admit uh, that, yeah, yeah, it's vulnerable, and there's a lot of bad people out there taking aim at it, I mean, I'm sure the bad people would have done it without her public acknowledgement of that, but I can't imagine it helps.
1: Greg, at least she didn't say, and here's how they'd have to do it. They'd have to <laughs> access this node at this time. Yeah, actually, at least there was, there was that effort. Um I think uh, it was elsewhere in that interview, something kind of jumped out at me where she said that the administration is opposed to anyone from either the public or private sector paying money to ransomware hackers because it just encourages the bad guys. I'm glad to see her saying that that was not really the vibe that we were getting from Jen Psaki or uh, anybody else from the administration when they did. I think it was Biden who said that's a private sector matter for them to handle, or it might've been Psaki. Generally, the administration was not going to give Colonial Pipeline, any grief for paying the ransom, Um, which struck me as odd. Now, I suppose you you could say, all right, look, they've already that's like like kicking them when they're down. They're caught between a rock and a hard place and every other cliche that's popping into my head right now. Um, (laughs) Then you could say, well, you know, they don't have any other good options. They got to get the oil flowing again. We've already seen prices skyrocketing and gas shortages in the southeastern states. They didn't have. Okay, fine. Look, companies by and large, aren't going to be able to hire Blackwater to go track down these guys and, and, you know, kick down the door and shoot them, right? They don't really have those options. I know there is, you know, like generally, by the time Colonial Pipeline loses control of its billing system or its pumping system or any of this other stuff, it's too late. They, they, you know, they, they don't really have that many options that are left. The only entity on earth that really has the capacity to take some sort of offensive action that would function as a deterrent against future attacks would be the U.S. government. They're real they're, you know, or, or maybe our allies beyond that. I, I bet you the Israelis could probably make short work with these guys because beyond that, we really don't have it's not like, you know, um, the meatpacking plants have this secret button that they can use to nullify this. So every private company like we can get angry at them for paying the ransom. And I think we are. And I think it's tr- safe to say each time they do it, they encourage the next one. And if you wonder why we have so many now. Well, maybe for quite a few years, there's been this steady supply of people saying, "You know what? The easiest thing is just to pay the money. Let's pay the ransom and hope they don't target us again." Well, maybe they don't target you specifically again. Although one, they've already demonstrated, yes, you can improve your your cybersecurity and all that stuff. But that just says to them, okay, this you know, if this company paid, the next company is more likely to pay, and this becomes a safer and safer in, you know effort. Uh, there's less and less risk for the hackers, particularly if they're based over in Russia. Because they know nobody's going to kick down their door and arrest them, and they also know that most of the time the company's going to pay. So, you know, I, I'm—I I'm, guess we could, you know, give a little bit of kudos to Grenholm for her honesty. But there's nothing reassuring about this, and it's kind of like if this isn't the federal government, and Department of Energy's responsibility, whose is it to protect us from having, God forbid, some sort of massive shutdown of the power grid because of foreign hackers? We can't rest easy on that, can we, Greg?
0: <laughs> no, we can't. But you know what? You can rest easy on. Very good, Jim. My Pillow Pillows. Uh, Absolutely love the My Pillow Pillows. We have a bunch of them now. Uh, I have slept on one for a number of years and it gives me the best night's sleep I've had in a very long time. Now you can refresh the pillows of every room in your house because the Premium My Pillow is at its lowest price ever.
1: The current offer is that for a limited time, you can get a queen size Premium My Pillow for only $29.98 and a king size pillow. Is just five dollars more the premium pillows will never go flat and they give you the best night's sleep every night they're made right here in the united states they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a year long limited
0: warranty. So go to mypillow.com and click on the Radio Listener's Square, enter the promo code martini or call 800-874-0104. Now while you're there take advantage of the deep discounts on all of the mypillow products including the Giza Dream bedsheets and the new my slippers. Get your premium my pillow today for only $29.98, but only with the promo code martini. Call 800-874-0104 or visit mypillow.com today. All right, Jim, on to the crazy martini now, and it's really a uh, a trio of CNN sound bites that are providing our material today. First, Jamal Bowman talking to John Berman, and then it's uh, Jenny Granholm uh, admitting our power grid is vulnerable to Jake Tapper, and now it's Brian Stelter, yes, host of Reliable Sources, which might be now the most misnamed show on television. Uh, He had White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on on Sunday. And, you know, Stelter basically spent four years, of course, never having anybody from the Trump administration on, but having a bunch of liberals on talking about how, you know, the First Amendment was hanging by a thread when it came to freedom of the press with with the Trump administration in power. Uh, Now he's got Jen Psaki on. And get a load of this first question, Jim. Jen, thanks for coming on Reliable Sources. My pleasure. Busy summer ahead, infrastructure, election reform. What does the press get wrong when covering Biden's agenda? When you watch the news, when you read the news, what do you think we get wrong? Well, look, I think some of our muscles have atrophied a little bit over the last few years. And there isn't a, a lot of memory, or recent memory or long, longer memory on how long it takes to get legislation forward or how messy uh, the process of negotiating and the process of getting legislation across the finish line can be. So, Jim, basically his question is, how can we do a better job of telling everyone that you're awesome?
1: Yeah, this is a really tough to justify approach from from stelter like i can there are times i've begun an interview with some of us saying like what, what's like the biggest misperception about you what, what do you feel it's like you know, what is or what does the public least understand about what you do and sometimes you can get a, a, a good you know interview rolling that way um and i suppose in theory if saki had gone in a different direction it might have been basically like you know what are we getting you know or, or even like a, what's your biggest gripe about how you're covered yeah, maybe they could get a re- very revealing answer from that but you're right it really comes out of this how you know like yeah there are customer service representatives who don't greet me that politely <laughs> <laughs> who don't have that kind of what can we do for you today mr garrity uh that that tone we see from cnn to jen saki there and I, I the other thing i kind of jump out of, we're seeing this not too long after cnn had an enormous amount of egg on their face and you even had figures like jake tapper coming out and saying yeah it really is embarrassing to learn that Chris Cuomo was joining the strategy sessions to help defend Andrew Cuomo we were wrong we were bad Mia culpa shame on us 50 lashes with a wet noodle and admit like okay well have you learned anything from that because it wasn't just that they were brothers it was the problem I mean it was a rather glaring aspect of it but it was also the fact that Chris Cuomo did not see himself in any type of adversarial role which is fine and if you if, if Chris Cuomo, was doing like alternating interviews with Anderson Cooper or Jake Tapper or Wolf Blitzer or somebody else there at CNN. And other CNN anchors were taking a more combative, adversarial, uh, tougher questions to Andrew Cuomo. It would have been easier to forgive the stuff we were seeing from Chris Cuomo. If Jen Psaki goes out and does another interview with somebody else at CNN and just, you know, somebody really puts her on the spot and grills her and points out all the broken promises of Biden already so far on stuff like, Uh, Saudi Saudi Arabian Prince and Nord Stream 2 and and all these other things, they're fine. Okay, so, you know, I'm avoiding calling uh, Brian Stelzer the nickname that has stuck to him all over social (laughs) media, but I nearly let it out there. Um, All right, it's fine, you know, Reliable Sources is going to be the cushy, you know, uh, interview that we we used to associate with Larry King. What's your favorite kind of oatmeal? That kind of uh, (laughs) stuff we're used to saying. So, like, I, it'd be easier to forgive, but I don't see that from lots of other CNN hosts. And right now, you know, like this is a particularly egregious case of how can we make your job easier? How can we do your job for you? Um, the subtext becomes text, you could say, uh, out of this. But, uh, you know, it'd be easier to forgive Brian Stelter for that. So as a result, it just becomes everything uh, Everything people are saying about CNN. And I think interviews like this are an indication that despite whatever happens after a you know, Cuomo Brothers scandal or something. CNN deep down doesn't really care about it. They'll they'll just go back to the same old habits as soon as everyone forgets about the previous scandal.
0: My favorite thing about Larry King was, in addition to the softballs, was the non sequitur. He could go straight from, why do you think it's important to raise taxes? To, did you catch Jurassic Park? Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's <laughs> fantastic stuff, but I would say it, if you put Larry King, you know, circa two thousand, up against the CNN primetime lineup now, he would look like a hard hitting journalist.
1: Yeah, because you know there was like more human curiosity about it, like you know, like you know, kind of you know, yeah. Uh, you know, I I agree with you on the oatmeal. So you know, so you didn't kill your wife, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, like there is a school of thought of that. Like you know, you, you soften them up with the softballs, and then out of nowhere, voop, the laser between the eyes. You know, and then you can you know hopefully get something uh, more you know, more revealing out of them. Doesn't always work out that way, but uh, really tough to say. Oh boy, they, no one came out of that saying, "Wow, Stelter nailed her on that one." He really, <laughs> you know.
0: Oh, did you actually learn something, or is it just a love fest? I think we know the answer. So, Jim, good to be back with you as always. Uh, Talk to you tomorrow.
1: See you tomorrow, Greg.
0: Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Uh, We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear
1: having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at TheBillWaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.